The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way, even when they stink. And boy, are they in a stinky situation as of this recording. I had to re-record the start of this pod because nearby fireworks were going off. To everybody out there that has gone to a very early start of the 4th of July, happy Independence Day to you several days in advance. I'm going to have another episode of the show actually on the 4th of July anyway. Just getting that out there for anybody on vacation or doing whatever. Uh, I hope things are going well, and I hope you find things that are bringing you joy outside of the Marlins because the Marlins themselves are not a bowl of kittens and rainbows at this particular moment. I would assume about 97% of you, give or take, have come to the dark side with me. You have accepted that the Marlins are not a 2022 playoff contender for a variety of reasons, some entirely predictable, others unfortunate, but nonetheless have to be dealt with. Their path to potential October birth has been impeded for this year. It is not happening, or at the very least, they are not going to invest a whole lot of time and energy on making a push that they aren't going to be able to get to when you're eight games under 500 at this stage of the season, still with some critical pieces missing from the equation. Uh, Even for the other 3% of you, I want you to stick around. This show is all-encompassing. It is serving everybody's interests as we look ahead to the trade deadline barely one month away on August 2nd this year instead of July 31st. Keep that in mind. For this Marlins team, I think we can all agree that just the pieces don't fit together. They never did at the start of the year. It's not looking any better right now from that standpoint. They need to just rearrange the furniture at the very least. With this Marlins team, as recently as last year, when competitively they were in the same spot, they get creative at the deadline. It's not as simple as buyer or seller. They get creative. They look for value wherever they can find it, looking for deals that in the long term will pay off efficiently for them. This is always a fun time of year for the Marlins. Before we get into the infinite potential options out there that they could take to address the team, some targets, particular positions of need, likely trade partners and all that, I've thought that the easiest place to start is about who not to trade at the deadline this year. I have picked out 12 players in the organization, a lot of them major leaguers, some of them still prospect eligible, that I think it is critical for the Marlins to hold on to through this deadline and make decisions on them later on. I'll go into why. I divided up these 12 players into five, you could say five and a half separate groups or categories reasons why they should be held on to, why their names should not be anywhere near these rumors, and why the Marlins should use the other couple hundred organizational players to uh, explore how they can improve the team in the near term and the long term. So without further ado, on the other side of the break, we'll hop right into it. My do not trade list here on the official show. Stick with us. Most of these players are not quote-unquote untouchables. I'd say it's really these first three that kind of fall into that category. Controllable cornerstones. And really, this category could be subdivided into two separate categories themselves because Sandy Alcantara is one of one. 
He is, as I've said on several platforms this year, he is a unicorn. His combination of effectiveness and volume of pitching that he provides is unlike anybody else in baseball. The Marlins were astute enough to sign him to a long-term extension all the way through 2026 with a club option for 2027. And only in that club option does it come even remotely close to his market value. That'll be $21 million that year. In the near term, he's still earning seven figures to be perhaps the best pitcher in baseball. With no hyperbole, it has been just a magical first half from him. Sandy Alcantara on the bump. He has been the ace of the staff. He has been the horse of the rotation. And he's been the best pitcher in the National League this year. Swing and a miss. That one at 98 miles an hour. A 1-2-3 first inning for Sandy. What kind of special night is in store? Getting better every single year. I'm recording this on Wednesday night as he is finishing up what will be yet another complete game, even if it's in a likely losing effort. He is special. As confident as the Marlins feel about their pitching development apparatus, there is not another Sandy coming anytime soon. He is... This is him. This is him, and they need to enjoy it and make the most of his next half decade, hopefully, if not longer, with the Marlins organization. He is staying put. No matter how negative you feel about the present, Sandy, the only answer is holding on to him and letting him do his thing as the ace of the Marlins. In the same cornerstone category, Jazz Chisholm Jr., the one who really, unfortunately, is now headed to the injured list with a lower back strain. He can take all the time he needs to get back because of the reality of the situation here in 2022. As high as the expectations were for Jazz this year, I'd say he's exceeded them a little bit. This has been a breakout from being a promising rookie to being one of the best players at his position. He is an amazing everyday second baseman, 140 weighted runs created plus, 100 is league average, two and a half wins above replacement in 60 games. Unreal. Slugging 535, 14 home runs, 12 stolen bases this year. It doesn't look fluky. It doesn't look fluky. Um, Even if this is the best version of himself, this is a player that is is huge, that, that you just don't find these guys anywhere. It's... He's been, he's delivered on what they hoped he would be. The last thing with him is his durability, and we'll see how that goes through the years. Uh, in the meantime, just like Sandy, under club control for another half decade, and he helps you win games in so many ways without even going into all the intangibles and off-the-field benefits that it comes with having such a dynamic person, such an effervescent personality, He has been, this has been a really amazing first half for him, and I think he deserves every bit of the love that he gets, both from Marlins fans and nationally and internationally. He is, he has ascended. He has blown up into the kind of star that they hoped he would be when they traded for him at the trade deadline three years ago from the Diamondbacks. And lastly, in this cornerstone category, only 19 years old, only half a season at AA to this point, Yuri Perez, he has gradually grown on me. I was hyped about him early on last year, but it's reached another level. We're not only seeing Merge as the best prospect in this Marlins organization, but one of the most special prospects they've ever had. You know, he is he's showing more upside as a prospect than Sandy ever did. I'll tell you that much. 
such a complete picture in a, a frame that you can dream on. As good as he is right now, there's still room to get stronger. There's still room to learn even more as a pitcher for a guy that is so young. It's it's hard to see a scenario where he's not extremely successful at the big league level, where he could get to the big league level very easily at some point during the 2023 season. I am I hesitate to put any pitcher into this kind of tier of being a cornerstone, knowing the injury rate, knowing the inconsistencies that can come with throwing that usually don't come on the position player side. I think he is an exception. I think he is the one type of player where as tempting as it might be to sell high at this situation, this is pretty close to as high as his value will get between now and when he actually reaches the big leagues um, with the Marlins. There's no reason to rush. I mean, they've done such a great job at identifying this player and of betting on his projection and betting on on him just to get better. And he has. He has. He is really extraordinary player. Um, one of the best pitchers in double-A baseball, despite also being one of the youngest players at double-A baseball. And we'll be seeing him in the majors real soon. And we'll be seeing him with the Marlins. They, they are not moving him whatsoever. A new category here, a tick down from cornerstones, but still untradeable in my opinion at this particular deadline. I'll call this the precious bats category. This Marlins team, uh, the reason why they lose as many sandy starts as they do while they're in this position mainly is because they do not score enough runs on a consistent basis. They do not generate runs when they absolutely need to. So you need to be really reluctant to move any of these guys that are very great major league hitters right now. That starts with Garrett Cooper. Cooper, who is at this point, he's top five in the National League batting race. He's been a different type of hitter this year than we probably thought he was earlier in his career. Not hitting for as much home run power, but as an overall hitter, I think he's just as valuable, if not a little more so, than he's ever been before. Um, In his age 31 season, he's really on the fringe of all-star consideration. We'll see if he gets named as a reserve. He deserves to be. He's he's like 35% better than league average by WRC+. Plus. He's been the everyday number two hitter in this Marlins lineup. He has, to this point, knock on wood, avoided injury. He's a guy that I think, understandably, this will be a tempting opportunity to sell high for a team that, as as most of you agree on, is not in contention right now. But you do have one more year of club control on Cooper for 2023, and it's going to be in an affordable number. He'll get a raise over his two and a half million this year, but it's still going to be in the seven figures. It's it's not going to be prohibitive for somebody that you can trust to be great whenever he is healthy. And now that there's a universal DH, there's just no rush to move on from him. And he's that type of player that even when he reaches free agency entering 2024, like this is a guy that's very happy in Miami. And this is one of those type of players that you can actually like retain as a small market team in free agency because of his limitations. And if other teams don't appreciate, you know, that he does the most important things well as an offensive player, then uh, I think the Marlins should know better. They should know how important Cooper is. He does so many things that help with manufacturing runs on this team and that is what they're going to need more of in 2023 and even possibly beyond that so i would not move cooper i think he is a really important piece to have as your primary dh an occasional first baseman even an emergency corner outfielder 
this this player is another like not I wouldn't say player development success story, but certainly a, a somebody that has really gotten even better since he arrived in Miami four and a half years ago. There should be no no hurry to deplete some of the little trusty run prevention that they have on this team. Nick Fortes, very different situation where he still has a half dozen years of club control ago, this being his second cup of coffee in the majors. I'm not going to put him on the same level as Cooper uh, in terms of what you can realistically expect from this bat moving forward. The track record is a lot smaller, but I talked about him a lot on the previous pod on Monday that all the indications about his his approach and his batted ball quality are very exciting. This is one of the few guys that they have completely homegrown, drafted and developed him and turned him into what seems to be, at least by catcher standards, a great offensive player. And he does well enough. Uh, I think actual defensive catcher stuff that there's no reason to be in a hurry to move on from him or seek another option. This is something that needs to be, I guess, reevaluated during the offseason, this catcher position. Um, but perhaps by then, if Fortes is anywhere close to the production that we've seen so far, being a 300 hitter with power, with as many walks as strikeouts this year, he's not going anywhere. So still wait to be determined exactly whether he is you know, the true primary catcher for a team or just an important piece. Um, these guys don't grow on trees. Catchers, legitimate major league catchers who can also hit to the level that Fortes does, he's sticking around, I think. It would, um, it's, there are interesting catchers in this pipeline, but this Marlins team finally has, um, for the first time in several years, really for the first time since, you could say, Alfaro's hot streak, but more so since Real Muto. They have an exciting, homegrown, extremely affordable catching option in Nick Fortes. Moving to another category, this is the don't sell low category. So these are players that you do not feel as fondly about as you would Sandy, Jazz, Yuri, Cooper, and Fortes. These these are guys that are all having bad seasons, and because they're having bad seasons, I feel like that makes them untradeable at this moment for a team that should not be panicking to move these guys because they are better than what their performance has shown here in 2022. Uh, the obvious place to start is Avaseo Garcia. First year of a four-year, $53 million contract has been pretty much a realistic worst-case scenario. The only thing you could say is that he's been on the field for the most part, very little missed time due to injury. It's just that when he's been healthy, it's been disgusting. Hitting a lot of ground balls, but more so, the problem is just chasing and missing on so many pitches, not showing for somebody that always had issues with offering at the right pitches, with being disciplined and selective. Um, this has been taken to an extreme, and it's a head scratcher for somebody that has so much major league experience as Garcia does. Uh, it looked like he was heating up earlier in June, and now, as of, as of this recording, I think he is, as I'm watching him take what will be potentially is the final at bat in uh, Wednesday's game just a couple singles over the last week so things are not trending in the right direction but you need to realize how long even one season is much less four years I still have confidence in the tools and the track record enough that he's going he could contribute to this team in a positive way eventually so you're not going to panic 
Oh my God. And as of this recording, unbelievable. Just like that, perfect timing. Garcia with the go-ahead two-run home run as the Marlins are down to the final out. And doesn't that perfectly reinforce where I was going with this? Not going. As Avi goes after the first one, sends one high and deep center field. Back goes Carlson at the wall, and it's gone! A two-run home run for Avi Garcia with the Marlins down to their last out. They take a 4-3 lead. Don't panic. Don't panic. Well, leave it right there. Don't panic about Garcia. To a lesser extent, Jacob Stallings, they were very excited to acquire him via trade. They thought he for sure was going to be the primary catcher this year, if not in 2023 as well. Stallings is under control for two additional years beyond this year through 2024, and his hitting has been even worse than Avasales to this point in the season, hitting 201. He's one of the slowest runners in Major League Baseball, not hitting the ball with any impact. And also, really, the bigger thing is defensively. They thought Stallings, the reigning NL Gold Glove Award winner, would be the ideal option behind the plate for them, that he would do all the little things from receiving to pitch calling um, to the even more intangible things well in order to improve the Marlins' run prevention. And he has been a bit of a disappointment on that front, more or less an average defensive catcher this year, which is hard to uh, understand. And that being said, um, he said he had a couple of years with the Pirates that make you more confident in what he can do moving forward. I think at the very least offensively, there's more on-base potential than he has shown to this point in the season. I really like the idea of Fortes and Stallings potentially being that catcher tandem for the Marlins in the near future. The exact playing time split between those two to be determined. As of this moment, Stallings getting about 60% of the starts and Fortes about 40%. I think regardless, for the same reason why you don't want to you don't want to like cash in on Fortes if he can actually sustain this, I don't think you want to panic about Stallings in case he bounces back. Uh, not just later this year, but more so in 2023 as well. It's Yeah, it's hard to teach all the defensive things that he does well, even if they haven't all come together for him to this point in 2022. And also in this category, the don't sell low category, I have Trevor Rogers. I mean, Trevor Rogers, we were talking about him entering this year as one of the most valuable players in this entire organization. We know how he dropped off in the second half of last year. I think there was quite a few people that figured with an offseason to mentally refocus, to work on several adjustments, mainly improving his slider, that he could be as one of the very best lefty starting pitchers in baseball this year. It has gone, it's gone worse than I think anybody could have feared with Trevor this year, where he's just not finishing off hitters the way that he's supposed to. He's not setting them up the right way with his fastball command has taken a big step back, and therefore he's not able to use his secondary pitches to put batters away the way that we, I guess you took for granted last year. So a 5.86 ERA through 14 starts, a 4.88 FIP, which is well below average, even if you're being generous. For somebody that did so well keeping the ball in the ballpark last year, that has gone away. He's already allowed 10 home runs in uh, 63 innings pitched. I think this just goes without saying that how well he pitched last year. Um, the teams would be lining up to quote-unquote fix Trevor, 
But who better to fix him than the organization that drafted and developed him and saw him had uh, that big league success in uh, 2021? So for the Marlins, he can be about as good as anybody. He could be the second best starting pitcher on this team. He That potential is still there. I don't see why he can't recapture it. It has been concerning that he's gone almost a full half season without recapturing it. Just stay patient with Trevor. He still is under club control potentially through 2026. He still has minor league options remaining if the Marlins feel that whatever is illing him uh, would best be addressed at AAA. So I wouldn't totally rule that out. Him spending some time in AAA to uh, make room for some other highly regarded Marlins pitching prospects. It's not the craziest thing. But I think the craziest thing would be to trade him at this deadline for any variety of reasons. Um, For this Marlins rotation to reach its ultimate potential, I think that includes Trevor getting back on track to what we saw in 2021. Yeah, one other guy I want to throw into this category all the way down on the farm in low A, the Marlins 2021 first round draft pick, Khalil Watson. I was one of the first to point out with Khalil that there were concerning underlying traits to how he was performing with low A Jupiter, that his plate discipline and his simple contact skills were non-existent. To this point in the year, if you haven't been keeping track, um, he's been just a well below average hitter, but he's only 19 years old at that stage. Um, The strikeout rate is astronomical this year. Striking out, geez, well over 40% of the time. It has been coming down recently, so it dropped no longer in the 40s, but still in the high 30s at low A right now hit a lot of for a lot of power early in the year and that hasn't really been there you just need to take a step back understand what a challenging assignment this is for Watson only one year out of high school to be playing at full season ball a couple years younger than the league average in the southeast league his offensive potential is I think unmatched among any prospects in this organization right now he can do a little bit of absolutely everything offensively and even if he doesn't stick at shortstop, I think there is some way that he can be a passable second baseman at higher levels this year. Another player to just reassess at the end of the year, if he doesn't make it out of low A this year, and if the numbers don't improve considerably, um, then you'll look at making some pretty significant adjustments with him. I think either way, they got such a great value that he fell into their laps in the first place. I don't think they're going to be out on him this soon it'd be selling low because other teams can obviously see what we see publicly with his offensive approach issues and so the marlins would not be getting the same value in return as they would had they potentially considered dealing him prior to the season i don't think it's worth it i don't think it's worth it and having him haunt you from afar several years down the road just sit tight on khalil he should get better and if he doesn't that's something to reevaluate further down the road this will be our fourth category called Let's Get Him Healthy. Let him get healthy. Let him get healthy? Yeah, let him get healthy. Two guys in here, two lefty pitchers that I think have a lot in common. Jesus Lazardo and Jake Eater. Eater working his way back from Tommy John surgery that he had last August. And Lazardo, who's been out for the last several months due to a forearm strain, which in the worst cases does tend to relate to UCL damage and require that type of ligament repair. To this point, optimism that Lizardo is going to make it back without surgery. He is slowly progressing. We should see him 
as a starter for the Marlins in September and hopefully for a good chunk of August as well. With Luzardo, we've seen him in the big leagues, a lot of ups and downs. I was skeptical of what he would do for this Marlins team entering 2022, but I think anybody that's watched his starts could see the numbers don't even do it justice for him to have kind of a, a four-ish ERA and not working too deep into games. But the swing and miss uh, potential is immense for Luzardo. And um, I think that if he does have a larger sample, pitching anything like he did in spring training and in April and in early May before his injury, that he could stick as a starting pitcher. And he is somebody that they um, is part of the solution for this team, even if he eventually moves into uh, the bullpen. I think the bottom line is that he's working his way back from injury. If they do, when the trade deadline comes on August 2nd, I'm not even sure if he'll be fully through his rehab start portion um, of coming back. It just would be really messy. It would not be wise to to cut the cord with somebody that has made some really exciting adjustments to both his sequencing and his pitch mix. The fact that his stuff simply ticked up from even where it was before. Um, I think you just need to be patient with his rehab and hope to see him back in the majors before the end of the year. With Eater, he's already been ruled out from this minor league season in 2022. I did believe I brought up his name as somebody to throw around in trade packages last offseason. That was under the premise that the Marlins could be a potential contender here in 2022 and that Eater being ruled out for the year uh, wouldn't make sense to coddle him when you could flip him for a more win-now piece to this team. Now, understanding the reality, that obviously doesn't make sense. I think you guys need a reminder about how dominant Eater was last year. I don't use that word lightly, but in AA, sent straight to AA to begin his minor league career, a 177 ERA in 15 starts, 99 strikeouts and 71 in a third innings. At, he has this two-pitch mix that is almost impeccable with his fastball, the way he commands it, and his breaking ball that is good for both called strikes and whiffs against lefties and against righties, especially against lefties, though, that his floor is pretty high as long as he gets healthy. This being Tommy John surgery instead of something a little bit more exotic, I think you just need to be patient with Eater as well. So give him time to get healthy, to get back, let him pitch, um, go into 2023, probably with him at AAA, and then you see where it goes from there. I would uh, I would not sell low on him for as much as they're excited about the other pitching talents in this organization. Eater is still, in my opinion, right near the top of the list of their best pitching prospects. It goes Yuri Perez, Max Meyer, and then you have some guys that graduated, like Edward Cabrera. He's no longer a prospect anymore. And frankly, Max is probably going to graduate from eligibility later this year. So then you have Eater. Eater is at the top of the list of lefty pitching prospects in this organization right now. So take your time with him and uh, don't panic because he's going to be hard to replace. And fingers crossed that he comes back looking the same way that he did in 2021. Finally, this will be the 12th player we feature here in a category all to himself, the loyalty bucket. It is Miguel Rojas. Things got a little spicy between this fan base and Rojas 
earlier this year. He got off to a dreadful start to the season. They were seeing him play shortstop every single day and reminded about the team's missed opportunities to upgrade at shortstop during the offseason. And he has steadily come out of it. I mean, to this point, offensively, he is nearly a carbon copy of his career numbers with a, a weighted runs created plus in the high 80s. And especially his defense has been wonderful recently. I mean, it was fine, I guess, early in the year. But he is playing as well as ever defensively at age 33. And he's hitting for as much power as he ever has, too. I think I've brought this up several times. On pace for a career high in home runs this year as well. He still makes a ton of contact for a team that has had a lot of frustration with strikeouts and unproductive outs at the worst possible times. Rojas is not a concern in that particular way. So as we wrap this up, as the Marlins wrap up an improbable comeback win, Sandy going the distance, I'm sure you'll hear a whole lot about that from coverage on our website as well as our other platforms um, here on Fish Tribes. But going back to Miguel Rojas, uh, some players just are not meant to be traded. Some players aren't meant to be sold at the highest value. Some players uh, are just meant to stick around. They're just part of the fabric of your organization. This Marlins team, um, they've been so long missing this kind of steady presence in their organization. And I think Miggy has gone through the worst of the turbulence earlier this year on and off the field. He's still part of putting together the best possible team for 2023. And as long as he wants to be in the majors, I think there's a role for him on the Marlins. He is aging pretty smoothly overall when you take a step back from the slumps that are natural in a season overall wow miggy is still a big part of this team uh and his the fact that his defense is what it is at this age at shortstop i think the realistic expectation that he won't be relied on as the everyday shortstop beyond this year the way that he has produced historically against left-handed pitching and just all the fundamental things that he does well, that he imparts to others. I don't think you could put a price on that. I don't think you'd be satisfied flipping that for minor leaguers and just hoping that they turn into something, that he is more valuable to the Marlins than he can be anywhere else. And as as tempting as it will be at this deadline, I think, to get something of value for him in exchange, um, I think they should pass on that. And I think... He belongs in the same conversation, believe it or not, as Sandy and Jazz and Yuri. Not saying they're on the same level talent-wise. Not saying that their future value is in the same stratosphere with those guys and with Miggy. Nonetheless, there are certain players that they need to hold on to through this deadline that are that still have a place in this organization, even in a season that has been, for the most part, underwhelming. I think Miggy Rowe is still a Marlin for the rest of 2022 and hopefully well beyond that as well. So that's my list. Um, I think you'll see them in the episode description. I'll put together a funny graphic about it as well. I'm curious who is on your do not trade at the deadline list for whatever variety of reasons. I think I covered a lot of different types of players that you'd appreciate. Uh, my thoughts on uh, Gary Denbo's departure. You can hear that on the small pod here on this channel. We have a couple more live streams coming up in consecutive days, a Jeopardy show on Thursday, 
and uh, our series preview of the Nationals on Friday. You can find those on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. And of course, all of our analysis and news coverage, opinions, etc. on fishstripes.com. It's going to be such an exhausting month plus for sure. But this is what we build up for every year, regardless of how the team performs. Marlins uh, keep it super duper interesting, don't they? So I've been Eli Sussman, the official show on the Fish Tribes podcast channel. Thanks as always for the support and go fish.